0: song of Solomon all about? Well, today our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, unravels the mystery of this beautiful book. Welcome to Through the Bible. I'm Steve Schwetz, welcoming you aboard the Bible bus for another great adventure in God's Word. Now, as you find your seat, I got a couple of notes from our fellow passengers that I want to read to you. Here's an email. This is from Wendy in Springfield, Vermont. I listen each morning on my computer. It's the perfect way to start the day. Even though I was raised in the Christian faith, I had never done any real Bible reading or study beyond what I heard each week in church. Now I live in a rural area where Bible-based churches are hard to find. That's why I began listening to Through the Bible a couple years ago. What a difference this has made in my life. I am 70 years old and don't get out much because of arthritis and heart troubles, but my outlook has opened wider than when I could easily get about. Oh, the riches that come into your life with the study and knowledge of God's word. I'm on a fixed income, but can truly say that with the insight that comes to me with your teaching, I am rich. And I will never be alone, no matter what comes my way. Many thanks to all of you who make this possible for me and so many, many others around the world. Every day you help me grow a little bit more and walk a little bit closer to our Lord. Well, thanks for that great letter, Wendy. Such an encouragement. Thank you for writing. And we're so glad that you're on the Bible bus with us. Now, here's an email. This is from a listener named Roger. I have in-stage kidney failure. This has not been an easy thing to deal with, but my Savior gives me the assurance that He is with me. It has been a real blessing to be a part of the World Prayer Team and pray for those who can't read and study God's Word as freely as we can in America. When I pray with you for my brothers and sisters around the world, I receive comfort and encouragement. May God bless you mightily. Well, thanks, Roger. Thanks for your note, and may God bless you as well. And how about you? What's your story? How's God working in your life as we study His Word and pray together? You can send us an email at BibleBus at ttb.org or leave a message on our Facebook page. You can also call and leave a message at 1-800-65-BIBLE anytime. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of studying your Word. As we travel through the Song of Solomon, would you draw us further into a loving relationship with you? In Jesus' name, amen. Please open the Song of Solomon as we go through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee.
1: Now, last time we attempted to put down a very brief introduction, and yet for a little book it was a rather lengthy introduction, and to tell the truth, I'm really not through with the introduction before we really get into the text to see how it relates to the Christian and to the church. I want us to see the story that is sheer. Now, the way that it has been interpreted by many, and this comes largely out of the German rationalistic schools of the last century, when liberalism first crept in to the church, actually unbelief was what it was, they tried to say that what you have here, the Shulamite girl was kidnapped by Solomon, and that probably at first she did not want to go, and then finally she did. That, I'm sure, to a child of God that sees in it a wonderful relationship between Christ and the church would not accept that. Rutherford and McCheney and Moody. This was their favorite book, you see. And they were the ones that could never accept that. And then the late Dr. Harry Ironside said that as he read these books on the Song of Solomon, that he could not accept that viewpoint. And he got down on his knees and he asked God for an interpretation. Now, I'm going to pass on to you his interpretation It's not mine. I make no claim to this at all. I give credit where credit is due. At least I try to. And I also have before me here a very wonderful book of A. Moody Stewart on the Song of Solomon. And he would not, of course, accept that viewpoint at all. And he finds in it a very wonderful spiritual meaning. So the interpretation, that is the basic story that is told here... And I think we need to have that before us. It would go something like this. We mentioned last time that you have here in this story, the one speaking, it's an antiphony: the bride and the daughters of Jerusalem, and then the bridegroom and the bride. But you have here the Shulamites' family. And in the family, you have here several, I think that, We need to note, one would be the father, and by the way, he's dead, and there's the mother, and there are two daughters, and there are two or more sons, and the eldest daughter here was sort of a Cinderella. Here is her statement in verse 6 of the first chapter. Now, I'm going to lift out the story the best I can today for us, and then we're going to get in and see beginning next time. It's a relationship to the believer and to the church. Now, here she says of herself, look not upon me because I'm black. Now, what does she mean by that? Well, she means she's sunburned because the sun hath looked upon me. My mother's children were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards, but mine own vineyard have I not kept. Now, what she says is simply this, this eldest daughter, you see, sort of a Cinderella, and she has been forced to keep the vineyards here, and apparently, this family lived in the hill country of Ephraim, and they were tenant farmers. We call them today croppers, or down south, and probably some of you'd call us okies, hillbillies, not the Beverly hillbillies, but just Real hillbillies, by the way. And the statement is made over in the 8th chapter, verse 11. Solomon had a vineyard at Baal-Haman. He let out the vineyard unto keepers. Everyone, for the fruit thereof, was to bring a thousand pieces of silver. Now, this is one of the families, the sharecroppers. And that's one of the places where the scene takes place. And this first scene here takes place there. And she is saying here, she says, I'm sunburned. Now, in that day, sunburn was a disgrace. It meant that you were a hard-working girl. And the women in the court, they wanted to keep a fair skin as much as they can. Now, here in California, they go down here on the beach and lie all day in order to get a sunburn. And it's not a disgrace today, but it's a disgrace if you don't have one. But in that day, it was a little different, you see. And so what you have here is this girl making this kind of a statement. She says here, I'm black, I'm sunburned, and that I've been made to take care of a vineyard. But she says, mine own vineyard have I not kept. Now, what does she mean by that? She hadn't been to the beauty parlor. She hadn't been able to take care of her own beauty, you see. Actually, she was beautiful, but she hadn't been able to take care of herself. And she's really the outdoor girl, a hard-working girl. That's the picture. Her brothers made her not only do that, they made her take care of the sheep also. She says here, verse 8, If thou know not, O thou fairest among women, go thy way forth by the footsteps of the flock and feed thy kids beside the shepherd's tent. They not only made her do that, they made her take care of the sheep. Now, in her daily chores... She was on a caravan route there in the hill country. And if any of you have ever been through that area, you know how rugged it is. And there is a bus that goes up through there today. And all the tours that go to that land, not all of them, but most of them go up through that area. I've been up through there twice. And it's a rugged country. And I have pictures I took of Arab girls working in the fields there. Well, this girl, she worked in the vineyard. It's a great country for raising grapes. And she also took care of the sheep. Now, she was on the caravan route, and she saw the caravans pass by between Jerusalem and Damascus. They went through that area. And when she saw them, you get her reaction over in the third chapter, verse 6. Who is this that cometh out of the wilderness like pillars of smoke perfumed with myrrh and frankincense with all powders of the merchant. Well, who is it? It's a camel caravan. And on it are the beautiful ladies of the court, the ones that don't have a sunburn. They've got a panoply over them as they traveled in that day on camels or on elephants also. And these beautiful ladies wore jewels and had satins on And this girl saw them. She never had anything like that. And she dreamed about that, you know. And the perfume like frankincense and myrrh that was there. We're going to see, friends, what a wonderful picture that is of the Lord Jesus in both his birth and his death. They brought him myrrh when he was born. And when he was dead, they brought myrrh to put on his body. (laughs) Oh, there's so much that is so spiritual here So wonderful, it'll draw you to the person of Christ. Well, here's this girl. And one day while she's tending her sheep, a handsome shepherd appears. And he fell in love with her. And it's a picture, and I ought not to run ahead and say this, but it's going to be a picture of Christ and the church. And this is what he said. He says, as the lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters." Christ loved the church, gave himself to it. And he says here, Behold, thou art fair, my love. This is one. Behold, thou art fair. Thou hast dove's eyes within thy locks. Thy hair is a flock of goats that appear from Mount Gilead. Beautiful, poetic language. And then you have, actually, this is a picture of Christ's love for the church. Christ loved the church, gave himself for it. Now, finally... She gave him her heart. And here in the second chapter, verse 3, listen to her. As the apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved among the sons. Now, when the word love is used, it's speaking of the bride. He's speaking of the bride. When it's beloved, she's speaking of him. So is my beloved among the sons. I sat down under his shadow with great delight, and his fruit was sweet in my taste. He said, come unto me, all ye that labor, heavy laden, I'll rest you. Do you know what it is today, friend, really to rest in Jesus Christ? Is he a reality to you today? Do you rest in him? Oh, how wonderful this could become to you. We're not talking about religion now. We're not talking about an organization. We're talking about a personal relation, a love relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, after she gave her heart to him, they were madly in love. And there's nothing quite like marital love like that, where it says in chapter 2, verse 16, My beloved is mine, and I am his. He feedeth among the lilies. How wonderful. And that means that there is that wonderful personal relationship. And we find that He actually took her to dinner one time, (laughs) apparently, as he traveled through the country. And all she knew of him is a shepherd, but he was a very prominent shepherd, it was evident. And in verse 4, chapter 2, it says, He brought me to the banqueting house. His banner over me was love. Took her to dinner, you see. Now, he's a most peculiar shepherd. He didn't really... Have any sheep that she could see? The other sheep were not of this pasture, you see. But she couldn't see those sheep. And she asked the question back in chapter 1, verse 7. Tell me, O thou whom my soul loveth, where thou feedest, where thou makest thy flock to rest at noon? Where are your sheep? He's an unusual shepherd here. And one day he announced he was going away. And he said he would return. He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself. Well, the days passed, and she waited. And finally, her family and friends began to ridicule her. They said, you're just a simple country girl taken in by him, knowing this first, that thou shall come in the last days. These scoffers saying, Where's the sign of his coming? Well, she trusted him. She loved him. She dreamed of him. And you have a dream mentioned here. By night in my bed I sought him whom my soul loveth. I sought him, but I found him not. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now, let me ask you a very personal question today. It's so personal that maybe you and I, neither one, ought to answer it. And it's this Do you really? miss Christ, do you long for him? Well, let's move on. One night she lay restless upon the couch and there was a fragrance in the room. And it was a custom in that day that a lover would go and there was always an opening where you reach in and took the handle and the lover would put some myrrh or frankincense, some perfume in there. And So she smelt the perfume in verse 5, chapter 5. She says, I rose up to open to my beloved and my hands dropped with myrrh and my fingers with sweet-smelling myrrh upon the handles of the lock." You see, she knew he'd been there. Uh, She knew that he really hadn't forgotten. And do you have evidences in your life of the fragrance and the perfume of Christ in your life today? Oh, my friend, don't be satisfied with this little gimmickry that's going around that's made you a super saint. Why not just get right down where the rubber meets the road? What does Christ mean to you right now? Is there a fragrance, a fragrance of Christ in your life? Now, she knew that he was near, and he said, lo, I'm with you, (laughs) To the very end of the age, and Paul could say in prison, He says, The Lord stood by me. And he said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. You see, the real test now is actually not faith, it's service and sacrifice and gifts. And now he says, You remember to Simon Peter, Lovest thou me? And here he's calling upon her. Will you notice the fourth chapter, verse six? It says, until the day break and the shadows flee away, I will get me to the mountain of myrrh, to the hill of frankincense. I'm going to get out on the mountainside. I'm going after those sheep that are lost. I'm going to do something for him. May I say to you, that is the important thing. And one day she's in the vineyard and she's working. And when she's working... And I think I should read this. It's found in the second chapter, verse 15. Take us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. She's sort of fixing the vines so the little foxes couldn't get to them. She had to lift them up. And if you're acquainted with that land, you know that they raise the grapes right down on the ground. They just put a rock under the vine. They don't string them up as they do in this country. And so she's lifting them up so the little foxes won't get the grapes. And down the road, there comes this pillar of smoke. Who is this that cometh out of the wilderness like pillars of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense with all powders of the merchant? Well, the cries passed along. Behold, King Solomon is coming. But well, she's busy, and she doesn't know King Solomon. And someone comes to her excitedly. And says to her, says, oh, King Solomon is asking for you. And she says, asking for me? I don't know King Solomon. (laughs) I never met him. Why would he ask for me? And listen to verse 8 of chapter 2. The voice of my beloved, behold, he cometh, leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills, My beloved is like a rower, young heart, behold, he standeth behind our wall. He looketh forth at the windows, showing himself through the lattice. My beloved spoke and said unto me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. And so she's brought into the presence of King Solomon. And do you know who King Solomon is? What's her shepherd? (laughs) And he's come for her, you see, My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. A shout, the voice of the archangel, trump of God. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. And she goes on because the great tribulation is coming, for lo the winter's past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of the singing of birds is come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree putteth forth her green figs and the vines with the tender grapes give a good smell. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. One of these days, he's going to call us out of this world. By the way, how much are you involved in the world? Would it break your heart if he came even right now and took us all out? I have a feeling some people are so satisfied down here and are doing so well down here in this affluent society that if he should come, they'd go all the way to heaven crying, all the way crying. That would be their experience because they got so much here. He says, Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. Oh, my dove, thou art in the clefts of the rock. That's where he's put us, in the cleft of the rock, until the storm passes over. In the secret of the stairs, let me see thy countenance. Let me hear thy voice, for sweet is thy voice, and thy countenance is comely. What a glorious thing. And then where we began today, he brought me to the banqueting house. And his banner over me was love. Salvation is a love affair. We love him because he first loved us. And that's what this little book is telling.
0: As Dr. McGee said, salvation is a love affair. And so is marriage. We'll hear more from Dr. McGee on that topic in just a minute. But first, to learn more about this ministry, just visit ttb.org or call 1 800 65 Bible. Now, here's Dr. McGee to finish up our study.
1: This little book is telling us something else. It's speaking into the 21st century, telling young people and men and women what marriage is all about. And certainly, we need to see that today because marriage today has been put on a computer and a series of rules and regulations are given. Salvation is a love affair and so is marriage. The man is to see in the woman one he can worship. Someone says, do you mean worship? I mean exactly that. What does worship mean? You will find that worship is respect that is paid to worth. If you go back and read the old marriage ceremonies, you'll find that the bridegroom always said, I with my body worship you. That is, he sees in her everything that is worthwhile. He sees in her his entire satisfaction. He must love her so much that he's willing to die for her. The Bible's very expressive. and I do not know why we should be so reluctant to speak as plainly. If you'll turn back to the Song of Solomon, you'll see the picture of the bridegroom and what he thinks of his bride. Thou art all fair, my love. There is no spot in thee as the lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. That's what we're going to see here in this little song of Solomon. And that's rather expressive, is it not? And very personal. Well, that's what the bridegroom says. Now hear the words of the bride. She says, "My beloved is mine, and I'm his. He feedeth among the lilies. That's in the second chapter here, verse 16. May I say to you, that is the high level on which marriage is placed in the Word of God. It's very easy to say, well, our marriage is to mirror the love of Christ. And that, of course, is true. But how is it going to do that when you come out of this society of ours and we have such a low view of both male and female, may I say that there has to be real love and respect, one for the other. Or actually, there can be no marriage. It will not amount to a thing. It will not bring happiness. And until we can get back to this view of marriage, then may I say to you, You can make all the rules that you want to and they will not satisfy nor will they solve the problems of marriage. There must be, there has to be that wonderful love that only God can put in the heart for a man for a woman and a woman for a man. Until next time, may God richly bless you. I believe.
0: Our journey on the Bible bus today is supported by the prayers and gifts of fellow passengers as we travel through the Bible.